my first, and thus far only, marriage ended exactly two days before Thanksgiving. I remember the moment perfectly. I was lying on the floor of our bedroom, halfway under the bed, looking for a shoe, with my favorite well-worn flannel nightgown halfway to my neck, when my husband walked in, wearing gray flannel slacks and a blazer. As always, he looked immaculate and was impeccably dressed. I heard him say something vaguely unintelligible as I found the glasses I'd been looking for for two years, a fluorescent plastic bracelet I never knew was gone, and a red sneaker that must have belonged to my son, Sam, when he was a toddler. Sam was six by the time I found the lost sneaker. So much for thorough cleaning at our house. Apparently, none of the parade of cleaning ladies I had ever looked under the beds. As I emerged, Roger looked at me, and I politely rearranged the nightgown. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about The Clone and I, by Daniel Steele, published in 1998. And joining us is Morgan Pielli. Hi, Morgan. Hey, how are you folks doing? Mm. Still good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I already asked that. Um, nothing's changed. That's okay. In the you interval. asked it weeks Great. ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I make sure nothing dramatic has happened in those three weeks. Yeah. For, for, for our readers, they've already uh, experienced the first and second invasions uh, mm-hmm. from the sea mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in between our podcast uh, with you as guests. Just hope everyone's staying safe out there. Yeah. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> uh, don't forget your iodine. Stay safe and dry. Mm-hmm. So um, my big question is, what the hell is this book about? Yeah, it's Danielle Steele's. I don't know if she's done multiple science fiction inflected romances right uh but it is a science fiction inflected romance from daniel Steele, and, and we know this for a fact it's not just it's not like james clone is the main character's name or something uh no it's uh let's see well peter's away on business his clone paul clone paul oh, shows up at her doorstep <laughs> i mean i guess the cover does imply that with that like I don't know what you call it, where you cut out a bunch of people on a piece of paper and you hold it. I'm sure there's an actual term for that. Oh, yeah, there is. The, the people chain. Well, it's got a people chain. Yeah. But like, I like that she also, because they need to make sure that people, her Daniel Steele fans know there's still romance. They put a little red heart over the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm kind of sad that Daniel Steele has, like, very solid branding and trade dress that gives this a fairly classy cover because I'm very curious what a more illustrative cover would look like. Right. Well, and that is something, so I work in publishing and we publish a lot of romance novelists and there are a lot of authors who do jump genres. And usually the way they handle it is they'll have a pseudonym, sometimes a pseudonym for their pseudonym for that new genre but oftentimes they'll still advertise like they want to bring the fans over, but they want the fans to know this is a different genre. So it'll be like mm. Daniel Steele as Barbara Bentley in writing for the clone and I just to kind of like introduce that way in. It's yeah. Nora Roberts writing as JD Rob. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a, not a, a secret. It's just like, it's, it's like a logo or a brand, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I can't remember. Yeah. There's someone, uh, one of the, one of the writers, uh, behind the expanse, uh, has several pseudonyms for several different genres. And he explained it that same way of just like, you know, you want people to know what they're getting, you know, right. Or you want the people who like that sort of thing to know where to find it. Right. Yeah. But I think, uh, Daniel Steele probably has the rare name. That's too big to do that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how other people like, think of it but like when i think of danielle Steele, i immediately think of like the commercials that were on the air when i was a kid <laughs> because she's maybe the only author i recall having commercials mm-hmm. i remember and my mom used to have a bunch of her books and the ones she had were all these editions with a die cut cover mm-hmm. where they'd be like daniel Steele, and then there'd be a little square cut out and like a hand coming off of a bed or a knife or something yeah booksellers hate those i bet yeah they get fucked up so bad yeah so uh Am I right in assuming that 
none of us have ever read an entire Danielle Steele novel. You are correct, at least for me. Yep. Did, did you did you ever as a child? Not as a child. Oof. Let's edit that out. Let's, let's edit that out, man. Uh, yeah, I, I read some Daniel Steele when I was four or five. <laughs> did you ever? Uh, did you ever, as a teen, uh, flip through a Daniel Steele to try to find the sex scenes? No, I was too busy doing that with uh, Piers Anthony books before I <laughs> learned his troubling history. Um, mm. I did not have a lot of books with sex scenes in them, and I had no idea. My mom had like a lot of like World War II books and stuff too, and not a lot, of, not as many sex scenes in those. So the only sexy stuff I found uh, among her books was a 3D issue of National Lampoon, like one of the 70s issues, which had a lot of uh, nudity, which I was very excited about. <laughs> but none of the Daniel Seal. I never, I've never even had the remotest urge to open one up. I would go to the library used book sales and it'd be piles and piles of Danielle Steele books. And I literally felt like I was wading through these things just to get to the nuggets of gold that were the like the Ray Bradbury or whatever sci-fi. They're also not small. No, they're not. Yeah, that is true. They are. They are tones. Like say what you want about Daniel Steele. She's a woman who can fill pages. Yeah. And I'm I'm a little embarrassed because that's very snobby of me. Like she clearly has something going that she's this successful and popular. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I am someone who, uh, is on record of, as a defending. I remember, well, let me put it this way. I remember years ago, uh, NaNoWriMo published some some stats about like uh, how many genres uh, the authors had identified uh, as working in, uh, and there was a lot of romance. Mm. Uh, and some people from college um, uh, had some sharp things to say about uh, romance writing. And I remember, I, honestly, I, I don't even remember when this was, but I remember thinking like, well, that's like, like just because it doesn't work for you doesn't mean it doesn't work. At what it's doing right mm-hmm. and also you know like th- there's an idea of like oh well this is a genre and there's no um there's no invention or no artistry uh in it um uh and as well when i was living in west texas i joined a writer's group uh out there and many of the members were interested in or actively writing in romance uh so i thought like okay like let me try some and i tried some uh and it was not easy Mm-hmm. And like, I, I could be totally wrong about this, but like, does Danielle Steele write her own novels? Like, I, I kind of feel like she does. Like, she is not like the the fiction factory of um, what's his name? Yeah, those like three or four different dudes who write thrillers. Right. Yeah. Uh, he just wrote a like I want to say like he just wrote a like wrote is in uh scare quotes uh, a novel mm-hmm. with Clinton James Patterson. Like James yeah. Patterson. Oh, yeah, okay. James the, Patterson. The million little writes. pieces guy. Right. He has his like factory. Oh no, wait. That's a different guy. That's, that's a different Frey. guy. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Frey. But, You're right. But he but he also like but but I think he set up a factory that was like not off not maybe upfront about it. Like mm. uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I'll, there are a lot of things with James Patterson's name on it that are mm. like things that have passed through his hands, but maybe not through his pen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like things where he like had the idea or like he edited. I know again, could be wrong. James Patterson, please guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never heard anything about Danielle Steele. Like, yeah, I, I don't know a great deal about her for someone who is as big a name as her. I know very little about her. Yeah, she doesn't seem to make um, like there, she doesn't seem to have as much of a public persona as a lot of other writers of her level of fame. Hmm. Boy, I, I'm sorry, I'm browsing her Wikipedia, and she has been married five times. I mean, romance. You have to live it to learn it. Yeah. Well, uh, if you write uh, 140 novels, which if she wrote, I mean, 140 novels and she's 73, so two novels a year uh, for her entire life. Is she only 73? Yeah. Wow. She's been doing this forever. That's incredible. I mean, that is yeah. genuinely yeah. incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's like, even if you could say like, well, it's not what I like to read. Uh, I think you have to admire someone who has been doing it very well uh, or yeah, very successfully. Maybe we should distinguish like, because I, I think like Vin pointed out, like there is a point at which like, uh, like her, her brand is so powerful now that like, I don't know. Uh, 
is it self-perpetuating? You know, mm. like, is there an editor who's going to say like, Danielle, this clone thing doesn't quite fly. Right. Or does she have the ultimate say? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of the thing that we, and certainly me, uh, that I fall into is when it comes to romance, there's, you know, there's that feeling like, oh, this is, this is like, you know, pulp or trash, or this isn't going to be very well written. And that is the sort of attitude that tends to be leveled towards any genre in anything, uh, film, books, you name it, that is aimed specifically at women. Mm-hmm. And while there is, I'm sure, a lot of garbage romance, there's just as much garbage science fiction, just as much garbage any other genre. So for someone who's been writing for as long as Danielle Steele has, I, I can't help but think that she has to be writing at a certain level of quality. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> that first page, I didn't love. Yeah, this is, it is kind of a rough one. Uh, let's get into the text. All right. So our first line, my first and thus far only marriage ended exactly two days before Thanksgiving. Um, this is one of those lines that like is uninspiring, but is putting in the work mm-hmm. in that it tells you several things that are going on and conveys certain things about the tone. Like there's a little bit of humor in there. Mm. Um, Although I find her punctuation kind of weird. I'm going to. Yeah, like, I noticed that too. Yeah, I know where you're going. Be a person who talks about punctuation today because she says my first comma and thus far only comma marriage. I'm like that. That to me needs parentheses because it reads really awkwardly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or an M dash. Mm-hmm. She's got at least one run on sentence. There's, an, there's one near the end that I found really confusing. I had to read a couple times. Sorry, Ben. No, I was going to say uh, or, or nothing like uh, there's definitely a lot of sort of set off clauses here that don't need to be set off in that way or uh it feels like she's writing the way she speaks like some people use commas the way they use the way they speak and that just represents a rest in their their rhythm yeah mm-hmm. uh and I, I mean there was well i guess we'll, we'll we'll get to the rest of this page when we get to it but um about that first line you know uh i don't have much time for writing these days but when i do i tend to write short stories Mm -hmm. so something that i find often when i'm when i'm paying as much attention to the first page only uh in in novels uh, as we do in this podcast very often my first my my impulse or my my first thought on that first line will be like just hurry it up like get to the story (laughs) already like yeah like i don't need to know about like what this traveler is whistling or you know exactly how you found the bungalow mm-hmm. uh, for your client let's yeah. say but like this is a line that has a little uh, a little sting in the tail let's say yeah like there's something about like a marriage ending it's like oh that's you know like the knee-jerk reaction is that like that's sad or it's too bad even you know even though the the, the line that i remember is uh uh something people say is that no good marriage ends so like if a marriage is ending that's a good thing for the people involved Mm. but even so you know like a marriage ending is going to be some emotional turmoil and the fact that it's around thanksgiving which is also a stressful time Mm -hmm. i mean maybe make it around you know christmas that that tends to be worse for a lot of people it seems Uh, but like there's something about this first sentence that did kind of draw me in yeah, I, I felt the same way. And then she immediately pushed me away with that long list of stuff under the bed where I started to just like my eyes glazed over a bit because you're right. Like she that is a sting at the end. And that makes for a compelling uh, relationship dynamic to to learn more about. But I, I don't give a shit about what's under bed. I just don't. Well, it's also kind of the way that she lays out that sentence. Hmm. Um because, like, firstly, she tells us she's looking for a shoe beforehand. And then she says, I found the glasses I'd been looking for, comma, for two years, comma, a fluorescent plastic bracelet I never knew was gone, comma, and a red sneaker that must have belonged to my son, Sam, when he was a toddler. He is now six. Yeah. Like, A, this sentence needs semicolons. Mm-hmm. Um. And like, I, I feel weird being again picky about punctuation, but like, it's hard to read. Yeah, especially like 
the glasses I'd been looking for for two years. Actually, there shouldn't be coming at all. Um, but like that confused me because she says I found the glasses I'd been looking for, but she just told me she was looking for shoe. Uh, so I had to sort of stop and puzzle back for a second. But also, yeah, it's not really an interesting list of stuff. Like you can make a list of weird stuff you find under the bed compelling or at least amusing. But uh, this didn't really do that. Yeah, my problem with it, apart from it being a run-on sentence, which I viscerally shudder at, was that I feel like she's going for the joke here. And the joke is listing, like you said, a bunch of silly stuff under the bed. But she undercuts that by giving too much information and then adding a second sentence after it Mm -hmm. to kind of drive it home. Like she's trying out comedy and I don't get the sense that that's something she's very comfortable with. And she doesn't really quite get the comedic rhythms yet. Uh, I'd like to rewind to the sentence before this. Hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Cause there is some weird stuff there. Yeah. Well, well, there's a, there's a real short sentence, uh, that is pretty clear, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think, well, uh, I think points to a problem on like a sentence level that I have a little bit here. And also I think points to something interesting that she's doing or something that I think she's trying to point out. So the sentence is, as always, he looked immaculate and was impeccably dressed. Now, the the issue I have there is that you don't really need to tell me both that he looked immaculate and was impeccably dressed. Like Mm -hmm. one kind of implies the other in my mind. Right. And so that's something where like, 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 like you guys, I think are kind of pointing at like, there's something here where you could have gone maybe through another draft uh mm-hmm. for for some of the some of this stuff um well especially because like the sentence before that is about her husband walking in wearing gray flannel slacks and a blazer yeah that i i was wondering about that too because that doesn't strike me as something someone who is impeccably dressed would wear that feels more like a little schlubby and around the house but maybe that's just my bias biases poking through <laughs> I mean, when when was the last time you put on pants? Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's no proof that I'm wearing pants now. <laughs> um, but I mean, and, well, so sorry. And so the thing that I kind of think that is being brought up here in this first page, which does make it more successful for me, is the the comparison between the husband who's like upright, impeccably dressed and not worrying about things like uh, where his toddler's sneaker is mm-hmm. Uh, mm. versus the wife who is in a well-worn flannel nightgown under the bed, you know, like, uh, I guess, yeah, I, I feel like, I, well, okay. So I did, I did just read a capsule uh, description of what this novel is, which doesn't really mm-hmm. entirely help me here <laughs> uh, because, uh, so what it is, is after her divorce from this guy, mm whose name we don't get do we get i guess we got not on spade oh yeah uh, roger. roger yeah oh and i want to talk about that uh mm. that last line where we get his name um yep. but uh so she gets divorced eventually uh likes this like really straight-laced guy uh and then discovers that he has a clone who's kind of wild uh and then has like kind of a classic uh a classic version of a a love triangle between like the sensible guy and the passionate guy, except Mm -hmm. they're the same guy, uh, except they're different guys. Right. (laughs) Uh, like there's, there, like, I'm not sure like you really need a clone, uh, for this exactly, but, uh, it's definitely an angle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but so I wonder, I wonder if this first page, I guess, let me put it this way. I wonder if this first page, would work for someone who had the experience of going to their husband and saying like, why don't you help me look for this shoe? Like mm. not, 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 not my shoe, but like the kid's shoe. Yeah. Like why am I always the one who's like the president of finding everything as, a, <laughs> yeah. as, as they say in my, my, uh, my parenting groups, which are largely mom groups, mm. uh, online. Like they're, there's just something there that I feel like, I don't know. Um, I guess the, the biographical element of this is that I have a child. Uh-huh. So like the idea of like my house being uh, a mess uh, and someone coming in, like if someone came into my house and was impeccably dressed, I'd be like, like, 
that's very good for you but like <laughs> uh like could you please help here we don't all have that yeah. luxury yeah there's 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 something about the way that she talks about her husband that uh makes it seem like there are some bad relationship dynamics going on because like you know daniel Steele does lay out the sort of contrast between her in her nightgown like crawling around on the floor and her husband being impeccably dressed but because it's first person she's the one who's telling us that her husband is always immaculate and impeccably dressed and like it sounds like there's some self-esteem and veneration issues where like she thinks that he's kind of very perfect Mm. um and like puts herself down in comparison just in the way that she describes him versus the way she describes herself yeah i also get the sense that she doesn't really think that much of him anymore just because i think it's telling that she just she mentions her marriage in the very first line she mentions her husband walking in you know two or three lines later but she doesn't actually name him until the last full line on the page that's a long time to go before actually saying the name of her husband yeah yeah it's definitely like foregrounding the relationship in a way which we know from the first line is going to end right yep and it is kind of funny to say like this person is my husband but not for long (laughs) uh like maybe it's to tell us not to get too attached i mean starting off with like you know the fact that the marriage is going to end and then like anything you said after that could uh be seen as like fuel for that mm-hmm. like when mm-hmm. i hit that last line uh as i emerged uh, roger looked at me and i politely rearranged the nightgown like there is something there to me like something is wrong mm-hmm. yeah 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 like these people are obviously not having sex anymore but, but mm-hmm. also like i feel like there's a sense that like did he look at her uh like well yeah like like he doesn't he doesn't like looking at her maybe right mm-hmm. and like or that's the way she feels like there, yeah. i feel like there's more unsaid here which again like if you were someone who was like in a relationship like this or like on the edge of that relationship this first page would really have uh an effect and again like i'm only like uh i i'm as far as having a kid so like i understand that part mm. uh of this uh, and so maybe it hits me differently but mm. uh, i don't want to like invent a reader uh for this too much mm. um because i think again like a- as we were talking at some point possibly off mic uh um uh well i, I listened to a podcast recently about romance covers and like mm. They they played some like clip from like 1980s, which was like Dan Rather laughing about romance. Um, and I, as someone who like grew up with that as my cultural understanding, like it's taken me a while to uh, to accept romance uh, as a perfectly good literary genre. Uh, also, honestly, we, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but if, if you want to talk about literary genre uh, of like litfic. Um, I used to slush read for a uh, university press or university review, mm. I should say. And uh, like at one point, slightly before my time, they had a board up that listed every story they got that was like, uh, like someone cleaning out the attic uh, after they came home from the war and one of their parents died. Uh, mm. uh, professor uh, has an affair with a student or like, like there was just all these like very trope uh or these literary fiction tropes that like were as uh generic and uh formulaic as anything you'd find in romance or science fiction or anything right uh anyway you had a better slush pile read than i did i i also read slush pile for a publisher back in vermont and we just had crazy people sending stuff we had one which (laughs) is a screenplay for a hovercraft based action movie we were an environmentally focused publishing company and it was very clear in all of our uh, headers we had this one script for a political thriller where the writer hand signed every page of it and then ended it with a a paragraph to himself about what a great job he did ending with i think his name was zimmerman or something like ending with yeah you did it zimmerman you fucking did it (laughs) yeah no no uh i mean uh 
there were definitely a few things that were like, like, oh, I think this person actually thinks they're telling the the, the true history of the the gnomes uh, <laughs> who live in the earth, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, there, I definitely remember there. I was like reading one. I was like, this is an amazing, uh, like, uh, uh, amazing playing with the fiction form. Like, it's so like, it's so meta. And then at some point, I was like, oh no, like it's not meta. This person actually thinks they're this person mm. uh you're like okay yeah like it's a, a searing exploration of madness or this person needs help right <laughs> but to go back to what you're saying i think that's a very good point that every genre has its tropey bits that um people fall into but romance does get pinged for that more than a lot of others um for me i mean i've come to appreciate more because i i know some people who write for it and I work at a publisher that does publish a lot of romance. So I get to see kind of, you know, how it's how it's made on the back end and the relationships with those authors between the various departments. And most of them are very lovely people. You know, they're they're doing I'm very envious if they get to make a living doing this thing that they love. That's amazing. Not that I don't love my job for anyone from my job who's listening. <laughs> please give me another promotion and some more money. Yeah, honestly, the, the only thing that kind of kicked me out of this page a little bit mm. um uh i mean i i kind of agree with with all y- you two have said about like some of the writing being a little confusing but like there there was something uh kind of legible to all of it for me uh especially if imagined as like this person is telling me a story mm. and it's like you know there are things that strike them as um important even if like like it's not important that like she lost her glasses two years ago you know but uh you know it's important to her like or let me phrase that right. it's not important to the story but it's important to her mm-hmm. and like it's also like a nice uh, i think you know like it's a it's a marker of the realism of like like yes like things get lost and like no one helps you find them okay. uh uh the, the the one part that like if i were an editor today where I would say, like, I don't know about this, is uh, at the end of the first paragraph, mm-hmm. where uh, she talks about the cleaners uh, that they had. You know, apparently none of the parade of cleaning ladies I had ever uh, I had ever looked under the beds. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, let's be more relatable. Like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's a it's a real hit to her tone because, like, thus far she's sort of presenting a woman who, like is in a marriage that's kind of falling apart and is, you know, trying to get her stuff together uh, while her husband is being like, if not like very perfect, like very orderly and like looking down on her in a lot of ways. Um, And it's a very like sympathetic portrait, but then she has sort of an un sort of like a not great attitude towards the help. Right. She's trying to paint the protagonist is, like you said, sympathetic and like kind of disheveled and schlubby from having to be a mom and to do all these mom things. But then throwing out that she has a cleaning lady and a I parade know, of them, a parade of cleaning. Yeah, that definitely takes that away. Like, is she really that disheveled if she has people which I say that, but like I have friends who you know aren't in any better financial position than I am who do hire cleaning people. So it's hmm. it's not unheard of, but in fiction it definitely it's its own sort of a trope and i think that's something that can be alienating whether or not it's accurate to be alienated by it yeah mm-hmm. but also yeah. like if you if you specifically talk about going through them a lot mm. that's like you know in reality or in fiction something that uh tells us something about you rather than about them usually yeah that's a good point um and also apparently none of them had ever looked under the beds yeah, that definitely reads as some side eye at yeah. the help. Yeah, and like it, it's it just clangs against this portrait of the person that we've been constructing so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you said earlier, Ben, I want to go back to, which is um, mentioning that the marriage, you know, it, the marriage ends two days before Thanksgiving, giving that expiration date on this marriage that we're currently experiencing for the first time. I think it's a clever way of keeping the reader from becoming too sympathetic to the husband, which I think Mm -hmm. otherwise you would be because it makes him immediately disposable. As soon as you read that, there's no reason to really pay that much attention to him. 
Yeah. I don't know where this story goes. If she ends up cheating on the husband with the clones, if that's what breaks the marriage apart, but it does kind of give the character a little bit more leeway to be not as great a person if she needs her to be, if the author Mm -hmm. needs her to be. Um, So I think that's, I mean, I think that's smart writing, right? Uh, It's, it's strategic. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's, I guess it's, it's weird to me that there are sort of three different aspects of, of our main character on this page that play together very strangely. Like there's one where she's very relatable. She has sort of a tongue in cheek tone, but she's also very like, like she has a tongue in cheek tone, but she's also deferential to her husband in a way that doesn't exactly feel like it goes with that. And then also she looks down on the help. All of those things fit together weirdly. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'm curious about having read the capsule where after her divorce, she tries to date in the New York single scene. And then uh, at some point ends up in Paris uh, and finds, uh, finds love there. Part of me is wondering like what the the narrator does for a living. Mm. Uh, Mm. Wonder if it's one of those like nonsense uh, rom-com jobs, like architect or a, you know, uh, like what are the what are, what are other common jobs? Like I feel like there, there are certain sets where people are like, it's like oh, like they're in like they're they're in PR marketing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, graphic designer comes up a surprising amount. Mm. Oh, <laughs> you guys must love that when you're doing the cover. And you're like, <laughs> can we yeah. make them? Can we make them look uh, messier and like more haggard? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll just look in the mirror. Uh, for my day-to-day position. It's funny you mention that because uh, my girlfriend is an architect too, so we do have both sides of that. <laughs> <laughs> no one understands us. Just, it should, it, this writes itself. I, it really does. Yeah. Actually, I, I just want to say one thing I, I just saw on the Wikipedia page. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, Steele married for a fifth time to Silicon Valley f- uh, financer and uh, fin- fin- financier. Financier. Um, Money, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Thomas James Perkins. Uh, but the marriage ended after four years in 2002. Steele has said that her novel, The Clone and I, was inspired by a private joke between herself and Perkins. <laughs> Which I like. I mean... <laughs> oh, uh, and in the article uh, that this Wikipedia article links to, uh, she says that, like, you know, her books were always... or. Some of her books were dedicated to her husbands. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, like, she dedicated this to Perkins. And, uh, you know, like, since it was just a private joke between them, she said she kind of wrote it as a Christmas present to him. There's something kind of funny to me about writing a novel, starting with a divorce, you know, dedicating that novel to your husband uh, <laughs> and then divorcing them. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's. It's a sweet gesture, uh, to be sure. And it definitely reads like something inspired by the tech sector. As soon as you said that, like, I, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. That sort of high-minded, utopian, libertarian sort of tech sector idea of like, oh, clones and going to space and, you know, um, seasteading. I don't know how much of that is in this book, but I'm going to assume all of it. Certainly the clones. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, we, we, we look at them as uh, the 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 cover is like paper dolls but if you kind of squint it kind of does look like water you know so <laughs> mm. i could see yeah yeah this is a uh, like uh, this is her her novel about like the sovereign citizen movement and uh, no. <laughs> his her political treatise about going cult mm. with her two clones yeah uh i find it interesting that her husband's only dialogue is vaguely unintelligible like he never actually says anything. He just kind of mumbles, I guess. Well, it's so funny that she's uh, halfway under the bed. I guess when she's halfway under the bed, that's like halfway uh, laterally speaking. Mm-hmm. So like she has one arm fully under the bed. Oh, that's uh, true. Because the, yeah. the first time I read it, I saw her. I, I imagine just her head under the bed. Yeah. Uh, which would make uh, her husband being unintelligible, uh, not entirely his fault. Mm. but then we do get that sentence about what he's wearing while her head is still right yeah she can clearly see him also i mean look i'm i'm not proud i've been under the bed before i can still hear things that are going on 
if someone walked in and said, where's Morgan? I would know because then I would be holding my breath so they wouldn't realize I was under the bed. <laughs> yeah, I like her husband to me has a, a serious case of Charlie Brown teacher voice. <laughs> yeah, that is a good way of putting that. And like, I think that's sort of his role here is to like appear as a figure and then be removed from right. the story. Yeah. Yeah. There is something about like, I mean, you know, we keep talking about how, uh, about how that first line sets up this marriage as not something to get attached to, mm-hmm. but it does like, it does leave me thinking like, okay, like, well, like, let's get on to the, the, the divorce which I assume is going to happen in the next like page. Yeah. Like I, right. I, I assume this first scene uh, is him saying like, like, yes, it's not working and he leaves and she's sad, but then also realizes that like, it hasn't been working for a while. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious how this novel will work. Yeah. I don't know that I'm curious enough to read the next page, but it's definitely something where I'll probably go in Wikipedia and try and find a synopsis about like, where the plot goes and try to gauge it that way also like just from the description in this page i'm very curious as to what daniel Steele's relationship is to science fiction Hmm. yeah because obviously there's none of it on this page so we don't really get any any reveals and like the the science fiction elements of the story are fairly broad so like I'm I'm curious as to whether she's got some like weird sci-fi thinking going on in the story or whether it's really just uh like a small twist on a traditional love triangle. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. My guess just based on this mm-hmm. is that this feels Douglas Adams inspired on some level. Like the the kind of cheekiness to the writing. And my guess is that the science fiction element would be like Douglas Adams sci-fi isn't doesn't get too deep into the science itself. It's almost magic because that's yeah. not really what it's about. And I suspect it's probably that sort of surface level, just enough to propel the plot forward. Mm. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, I, 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 I do agree with Morgan that like I'm imagining from the little that I've read, this feels like like, OK. It's just she's torn between two guys, except they're the same guy, mm. except they're not the same guy, because like, that's the part <laughs> that I, I keep going back to. Like, they're clones, but they have completely different personalities, um, which is interesting because what she could have just made it about twins, but she specifically didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. It feels kind of like I mean, so this is 1998, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone will have to check me on this, but like that feels kind of zeitgeisty in terms of like. Oh, that's true. I feel like we had, yeah, some sheep at that point. Yeah, that was 96. When did Multiplicity come out with Michael Keaton? I think that was around that time. Not that that was exactly a huge success, but (laughs) I do feel like we had some clone-related romantic comedies at around that time, because I don't think that was the only one. 96. (laughs) What what else do we have? So we've got a sheep. Uh, We have Dolly the Sheep. We've got Multiplicity. Um... Yeah, I, I don't. I, it, it's a weird era for comedies. I feel like that was an era of high concept comedies. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's like. I mean, how many high concept romances are there? Like the time traveler's wife. Uh, I mean, well, let me refer, let me rephrase that. Uh, nowadays, I think there are many, and not only like many, but like I, I could be wrong about the history of romance, but like mm. my understanding is that like. Uh, recently being the last like 10 15 20 years mm-hmm. you know the years from 1990 to 2010 since it's 2010 <laughs> yeah yeah um there has been an explosion in romance subgenres yes mm-hmm. so yeah. you have your shifter romance and your uh secret baby romance your what secret baby that's where it turns out the guy that the woman I work in I work at a romance publisher. Uh, it's where it turns out the guy has a secret baby on the side that he's been kind of keeping from oh. the wife, uh, mm. the the prospective lover. So so the, the the first part is like like oh I love him but he he seems withdrawn or like he, yes he disappears sometimes and he can't explain it and I think he's sleeping with someone else and then it turns out that he's just a good dad. Yeah, exactly. He's secretly like 
the dream dad. Right, right. Yeah. No, I like it. Um uh wait, uh shifter. Yeah, others. Mm. I mean there's there's like, you know, one of my one of my friends from my writing group wrote almost entirely like romance thrillers. Hmm. Mm. Like that was her and like uh like maybe adventure romance. Like there was a lot that like there were a lot of things that like the 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 bodice ripper cover that I grew up with uh on my sister shelves uh mm. like would not be a good fit for mm. um but back in the day like i mean when daniel seal was writing this how many high concept romances were there or was it mostly like pretty straightforward like you have your historical and you have your modern day i mean that was the era of fabio like right. i know he's become a cultural punchline in a lot of ways but like that was when he was huge and that was mostly, like you said, um, historical romances, some contemporary romances. It did feel like the landscape was pretty much set with those two types. And I, I don't, I'm not an, a historian or any sort of an expert on this, but yeah, I, I can't think of. Uh, the Outlander series started in 1991. Okay. And that's like very much the sort of intersection of those two things hmm. where it's historical with a sci-fi element but also like the covers are a whole lot of bodice ripper style right they used to be the ones i'm seeing here or less so i i seem to recall reading that the suki stackhouse novels that got turned into the true blood series were more romance oriented were those from around that time or was that later i think those were current in the early 2000s okay uh which from our point of view is the future Yes. yes when i will have my divorce I would have it. Yeah, it, um, it. I don't know where that turned. Sorry. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I'm curious as to where that that turned into this new sort of subgenre. Sorry, Ben. No, I was just going to ask if you could find a list of the best-selling uh, romance novels uh, of the late 1990s, uh, just to see if there is something here where, like, I mean, uh, so I will say, uh, as as much as I did. Uh, I think enjoy this first page more than you two. Uh, I don't think that I am drawn to read more of this. Uh, and in part because I think there is other, maybe more modern uh, or more recently written uh, romance novels that might be more interesting to me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially coming from like a science fiction and fantasy background. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, what did I read? I don't know. You guys read like, well, I don't know if you read. I shouldn't. Uh, 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 let's see. There is the uh, Anita Blake. No, I'm familiar with them, but I haven't read them. So like uh, Anita Blake, uh, <laughs> Vampire Hunter. Uh, 1993 was the first one. Hmm. Um, and I want to say like it starts off more. Well, it starts off less romance. I've only read like maybe one or two. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I had like a big uh, omnibus edition from the uh, the SF book club mm. back in the nineties, but like as it goes on, like I think it gets much more into like I mean honestly I think there's maybe a love triangle between uh, Anita Blake and a vampire and a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and that, well, that's pretty early ninety three mm. for what we're talking about. But like, I don't think that was sold as a romance. Like, I don't think people who you know were reading. Danielle Steele were given uh, Anita Blake novels. Um, yeah, right. I mean, that's something that we still run into like, at the publisher that I work for. We have a lot of non-romance genres where the writers specifically asked or the writer specifically volunteers to put a romance in because that sells. And that's something that a lot of the readers kind of expect. Hmm. So like, well, the cozy mysteries, which are kind of like murder she wrote like bloodless mysteries and there's almost always a romance that develops over the course of that mystery mm-hmm. i mean i i would be much more suspicious of a uh, main character of murder she wrote if not only was she uh seemingly at the heart of all these murders in cabot cove but also falling in love every episode <laughs> uh, yeah that jessica would... fletcher has a surprising number of boyfriends on that show oh <laughs> good for her surprising for like uh uh for for i mean i can't remember who made the joke about like if golden girls was rebooted today it would be about like 30 year olds like 
like our understanding of older people is uh yeah myopic i guess but even for a mystery protagonist um i think she has solid romantic interests in more episodes than one would expect yeah i mean that's the nature of yeah I think I've read somewhere that was it the average number of partners that a man has over the course of his lifetime is around six and a woman is, I think maybe five and t- because it's television, mm-hmm. you know, they have to keep the viewers hooked. So they have like 30, 40, 50. Yeah. And it's just not how life works. Um, to go back to this for a second. Okay. And what, what Ben was saying about not necessarily being inspired to read this specifically i think the thing for me is especially knowing that this was written as sort of a a gift to her then husband if i'm going to read any daniel Steele, i'd rather read something that is a better example of her work whereas this feels more like a a one-off or sort of like a a fun side project that she did Mm -hmm. yeah this does have a bit of the feel of like dabbling yeah yeah um i'd be curious to know what like what people consider to be the iconic daniel Steele novels given how many of them there are there must yeah. be an era that's considered like her best era or something. Or maybe she's still considered to be pumping out good work. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Pumping out. I mean, even my language betrays how I sort of feel about this genre. Well, yeah. she has written but, 140 books. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That is an insane number. She is 73. So again, that's two a year since she was zero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I guess like, you know, this is one of those things where like, of course, you know, she has a very nice house and she has people to help her so mm-hmm. she can focus on. I thought I think I just read somewhere that uh, it, it, in one interview, she talked about uh, sometimes she spends 20 to 30 hours at the typewriter. Um, like in a in a week? No, no, no. Like in a sitting. At a stretch. Oh, wow. oh, my God. Yeah. Which like, I don't know. Like you would have to have people <laughs> to make that possible. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or else you would die uh like i mean you need at least someone to feed you but like also at the end of it you need someone to like stretch you out right <laughs> but yeah yeah i agree i i, I would rather I, I might rather read something that is considered uh uh iconic or um i mean i don't want to say a seminal work mm. but the height of her powers yeah yeah uh the climax of her powers no <laughs> no wait hold on uh yeah. Um, or yeah, something maybe more modern that would scratch, uh, both, uh, a romance and some other genre itch. Mm. I will say the, the one, uh, it's probably like a novella length, uh, paranormal romance or the, the one, the one novella romance novella that I finished was a paranormal shifter romance about dragons. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you remember what it's called? I think that might have been one of ours. We oh, published- no, no, no. I mean, I mean the one, the one that I finished writing myself. <laughs> oh, writing. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yes. No. No. No one's ever read that one except for my writing group. I see. It did. It did have one of my favorite jokes in it, though, which is uh, in a chapter that was leading up to the the the, the two protagonists having sex. Um, like it was very obvious that like the next chapter was going to be the 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 the, the hot and heavy uh, chapter. Mm-hmm. I I just. I wrote just a fake version where I just said, like, it was just two lines, like chapter six. They had sex. It was good. <laughs> that was one of my favorite jokes about uh, dragon sex. Uh, yeah. Just like, my God, we really have to get into it. And it's like, well, that, you know, I mean, for a certain type, right? Well, so one of the subgenres that we publish is Amish romance, and it's very, very popular, but because it's Amish we can't have sex scenes depicted. So it always goes to what we refer to as panning away. Mm-hmm. Like the characters like come together and then hands away. And we did actually get in trouble because we had one book that got a little too explicit. Like it mentioned a sex act by name and we had letters. We had letters and letters and letters. And we had to like not do that ever again. So now it just says they had sex. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just like Amish a, style. A chapter that's like, like, would you rather them not have sex? Like, <laughs> what do you think is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you, you pan away and then you, you come back to them and like, like he's finished, uh, making like, uh, some cordon bleu, uh, recipe and she's just like planing, uh, some wood <laughs> to make a boat. 
<laughs> it's like, what did you think they were doing? Like, get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, yeah. Uh, on that note, Morgan, where can folks find you online? Um, they can find me on my website, morganpiele.com. I also tweet on Twitter under the same catchy name, Morgan Pielli, at Twitter. Um, apart from that, I contributed a comic uh, to an anthology called Pandemics, uh, merging the words pandemic and mix. And it's a uh, not-for-profit book where the proceeds go to the Hero Initiative um, for pandemic relief. But where you can find that, you'll have to Google it because I do not know where it's currently available. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space or on Twitter at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week, weather permitting. <laughs>